Here's one. Here's two. Oh, here's another one. Mark, what are you doing? Oh, hey there, Kelly. I'm just picking up some of these really rare seashells off the seashore. Okay, but why are you in a bikini? Huh? Oh, this little number? It's not a bikini. It's my Ursula Andress Halloween skin suit. I gotta say, Mark, that is much worse than an actual bikini. Well, sorry for trying to get in the spirit for this Dr. No podcast. I'll change and we can do this thing. You want to tell the people what to bring? All right, everyone, grab your cyanide-laced nectarines. And your flame-throwing marshmobile. And join us as we look at James Bond here in the books. And there in the movies. Part six, Escape from Dung Mountain. Okay, I feel like we got to say it. Escape from Dung Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll start with the synopsis, as always. <laughs> Dispatched by M to investigate the mysterious disappearance of MI6's Jamaican station chief, Bond was expecting a holiday in the sun. But when he discovers a deadly centipede placed in his hotel room, the vacation is over. On this island, all suspicious activity leads inexorably to Dr. Julius No, a reclusive megalomaniac with steel pincers for hands. To find out what the good doctor is hiding, 007 must enlist the aid of local fisherman Quarrel and alluring beachcomber Honeychild Rider. Together they will combat a local legend the natives call the Dragon, before Bond alone must face the most punishing test of all, an obstacle course. That doesn't sound very... <laughs> the most dastardly... An obstacle. Designed by the sadistic <laughs> Dr. No himself that measures the limits of the human body's capacity for agony. That's a pretty dramatic synopsis. I like it. Yes. Uh, I got to say, this so far is my favorite book. I don't know how you felt about it. I completely agree. Um, I loved this book. I I think that my favorites so far of the series are the ones that um, go to the tropics, like this one and Live and Let Die. Uh, Moonraker was awesome, too. But yeah, this one takes the cake for me. Well, and he... Obviously, Fleming lived in Jamaica, and I think he wrote all of these uh, over the summers in Jamaica, and so he's writing what he knows, and uh, just stylistically, there's some beautiful description here. I, I feel like him writing about a place he knew so well gave him the time and freedom to really focus on the craft of it, too, without having to worry much about research and stuff like that as well. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. But but the plot, too, uh, it, I mean, it was a classic desert islands bond going and and uh, surviving there's only one real setting and uh i don't know it should move the pacing was great it moved really quickly and yeah i i would agree something there this this book did a good job of staying away from like from russia with love how they did that whole exposition with with red grant's background and the russian diplomats and all that stuff that just went on way too long and yeah. <clears throat> i would say most books up till this point, have have had at least a little bit of that problem, but I, yeah, I agree. The pacing in this book was really, really good. It didn't feel like there was any extraneous happenings. I mean, everything was relevant. Um, it was, it was just great. Well, it was one of the longer books too, but I read it almost. I think the quickest of any of these, so it was like a really quick, engaging read. Um, yeah. Good. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I just, I mean, I agree. Um, I, there's, there are times for sure during the series when I've gotten a little bit bored with the almost, 
Fleming, I love Fleming's writing style, but he can at times be very, very masculine. And as a female reader, sometimes I just, I feel my attention wandering (laughs) in some of those those points. But Well, it's funny because I've... I've wondered that too, as we're doing this, I'm like, I'm really enjoying this, but I wonder how Kelly is because it's so, and this book specifically was one of the things I wanted to talk about was with Honey Child Writer reading the description of her past, it was the first time when the Iron Curtain fell, so to speak, and I saw it for just the male fantasy that it was, which Mm -hmm. is not a judgment on the book. I mean, he knew his audience, that's what he was writing for, but it was the first time I was like, okay. He's in his late 30s at least. And, you know, this girl's just 20 years old. And, you know, she's, <laughs> but he's like, she's so mature for a 20 year. It was just like, just the perfect scenario for this guy to, you know, to get with this 20 year old. So, exactly. So and, and she's erotically, like, nakedly collecting her shells. Right. I mean, that was kind of hilarious. It's like, of course she is. Of course she's naked. naked she's and wearing it. Pl- yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I did, I, it's been just, you know, that brings me into another point that I wanted to make. I liked, overall, I liked the character of Honey. I mean, she was sort of, I mean, at one point Bond refers to her as this girl Tarzan, and she kind of is. I mean, she's a very simple character, and at times I feel like it's kind of a vehicle for some of the 1950s-ness to be like, oh, let me explain to you about what this is, you know, you simple woman, you know, little lady. But for the most part, she she had a kind of natural intelligence and she was useful in other ways. Um, I mean, I what did you think about that? I agree. I really liked her character. I thought she was a strong character. She, even though she had uh, like a sexual assault in her past, which it seems like almost all of the Bond women yeah. seem to have. Uh, you know, she's still strong. She doesn't, you know, she she's not a very round character. It doesn't seem like she changes much, but she doesn't need to. But I, I liked her. Uh, yeah. For sure. And she, I mean, they they let her actually have ideas. Like, this sounds bad, but like have ideas of her own <laughs> and actually take part in the things that are... He let her think are, in the book. Yeah, he let her think. I mean, she's she's a team and part of these things that are unfolding and, uh, you know, breathing through the reeds, cutting up the reeds and using right. them as, as uh, snorkels when they're when the people are chasing them through the swamp. That was Honey's idea in the book. In the right. movie, it was and Bond's, but... When you talk about archetypes, you think of the Bond girls as being the damsels in distress, but she takes on the mentor a lot in this book. You know, she helps them yeah. survive, and at the end, and, we, and we'll talk about this in reference to the movie too, she escapes on her own. She lets the crabs, you know, he, he leaves her for the crabs to devour, and you know, she knew that they wouldn't if she stayed calm, and she escaped herself and met up with Bond, which is great. I like mm-hmm. that. I, I love that part, because I figured he was going to have to go save her, and she ends up running into him and attacking him, you know, so, so she's not this helpless woman. Exactly. I completely agree. And in fact, you know, taking that a step further, like she escapes on her own, which is awesome. And she, not only that, but she has these, she plans to hunt down Dr. No and avenge James's death because she, she believes he's been killed by the obstacle course. And so that's kind of cool because in so many other ways, she's very childlike and very, um, you mean honey childlike? Yes, well played, sir. Um, Yes, it's it's funny. I was gonna say I call sometimes I call my daughter facetiously "Honey Child." She's only two, but and Mm -hmm. then I read this book, and now every time I call her "Honey Child," 
I'm like, I just feel like I'm being sexist. <laughs> now I gotta get a new name, pet name. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I, I did, I thought it was kind of funny that they made her into this Jamaican Snow White character and she's like communing with all the animals and she talking about how all the snakes, she like refers to them as if they were people and um, <laughs> that was a teeny bit cheesy to me but they didn't dwell on it so, I mean it, it, it turned, by the end with the crabs it turned into an asset rather right. than Well she later than... goes on to marry uh, Aquaman, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding That's I wish, that different Different universes <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Can maybe... you imagine the the beautiful children that she <laughs> right. and Jason Momoa would have? <laughs> half oh, half clownfish, half. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should move on to Doctor No, the eponymous character. Uh, <laughs> you had mentioned that it's kind of a ramping up of the uh, what? How did you put it? Oh, the disfigured Bond villain trope. Yeah, he's missing both mm-hmm. arms and both eyes, or he's got contacts <laughs> on both eyes, and I liked yeah. him. He he was very sinister. I mean, I thought it was the fact that he had such a, you know, ha- privacy and power were so very important to him. And that's the way that he was able to, you know, the whole thing with Cape Canaveral and, and diverting the rockets and so forth, that was his end game. But he, he did it so painstakingly with this bizarre... Uh, concept of of making money off of bird guano on this remote island and i thought that was so fascinating because it just it showed how sinister and how patient and how just completely dedicated to this cause that he is i mean this took years to unfold and i I thought that strengthened it and we can kind of go back to that when we talk about the movie because that wasn't Uh really brought up but anyway yeah he was (laughs) you know we've we've mentioned before in some of the previous episodes, how much of a trope it is, you know, the, the, the bond villains with something wrong, like with crazy disfigurements and whatnot. But up until now in the books, there hasn't been a ton of that. So for me, this was the kind of the first, maybe not the first, but definitely they're taking, they're notching it up. They're, they're getting more towards Mm -hmm. the bond villains that we know from watching the movies. We all know and love to hate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of things you love to hate, check out the good, the bad, and the po- ugly podcast. <laughs> um, and of course, all these villains keep taking Bond through more and more painful scenarios, and this one ramps it up again with this obstacle course. Uh, I think you said you liked it. What What were your thoughts? Yeah, I loved it. I felt like this whole sequence with um, Doctor No, <laughs> there are sort of shades of the princess bride you know when count rugen captures what's his name and and straps him to the torture device just to see how much the human body can handle you know um but i loved it i mean it was the whole crawling through the air i mean it was very claustrophobic just the way the style that fleming used when he i mean it was so well written i mean he's enduring test after test each one more harrowing than the last and it could have particularly with the the final, uh, they call it the killing ground, where he faces off against the giant squid. I mean, that just sounds ludicrous to right. even say out loud. I mean, it could have ventured so easily into cheeseball territory, but the way that he wrote it, I just, I find it hard to explain, but it seemed as believable as a battle with a giant squid could possibly right, yeah. be. 
Yeah, I thought he, um, I thought the suspense in that scene was in that section was great. Um, I was confused though. Well, first of all, I like that Fleming. I'm sure had to do mental gymnastics to try to figure out what's the most pain you can put Bond through without permanently <laughs> disabling him for future right. books. You know, we can't have him yes. losing limbs because he's got to be handsome for the next one. But, right. Uh, yeah. But then at the end, I was okay. So they. They just he describes the uh the Chinaman watching Bond throughout this whole obstacle course, but then the end he escapes and nobody sees him and he goes to Dr. No and is able to kill you know that I was like, wait True. a second. I'm confused by that. So a little plot <laughs> that, hole there. That is a good point. And also you would you I mean, I understand that Dr. No's got business to do as an evil overlord, but I mean, after all of his talk about being so interested in pain and so interested in seeing what the results were going to be. And, uh, you know, you'd think that he himself would have watched right. some of it. I he, mean, he just was like, bye and went about his business. Check you later. I got to go check on yeah. this guano deposit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, which actually, should we talk about the death scene real yes. quick? Because, well, I've been babbling a lot. You, you, what did you think about it? I liked it. I thought it had, I thought it had great, uh, tragic poetry to it that he gets buried under this two-ton mound of guano that he had made his fortune on and that yep. bond gets in there and you know it was a classic kind of bond moment which um i was disappointed it wasn't in the movie because i felt like that's pretty cinematic oh uh, yeah which we'll talk about did you have anything to add uh, i mean uh, no i, I mean that I... really that really hit it on the head i mean i just i thought it was such a great moment of poetic justice in it it was a letdown for me that it wasn't in the movie, but it couldn't have been in the movie because they didn't talk about the guano at all. So right. I get why they didn't, but yeah, it was just, it was very satisfying, I would say. Yeah. Okay. So with that said, I, th I think we're ge we're edging into movie territory. Let's take a quick break for our sponsor and we'll be right back to talk about the movie, Dr. No. This episode of James Bond Here and There is brought to you by Fleming Brand Ejector Seats because you never know when you might want a little more elbow room. Come on down to one of our fine Fleming brand storefronts and pick an ejector seat for your transportation of choice. Cars? We got them. Planes? We got them. Boats? We got them. Helicopters? We got them. Space shuttles? We got them. Gondolas with wheels? We have those too. That's right, the Fleming brand ejector seats are the cure for what ails ya. Fleming brand products for you. And now back to the program. And welcome back. Let's give you a quick synopsis for the movie. Pretty similar, but I'll go ahead and read it. In the film that launched the James Bond saga, Agent 007, Sean Connery, battles mysterious Dr. Noah, scientific genius bent on destroying the U.S. space program. As the countdown to disaster begins, Bond must go to Jamaica, where he encounters beautiful Honey Ryder, played by Ursula Andress, to confront a megalomaniac megalomaniacal villain in his massive island headquarters. So, for me, I, okay, general, my general thoughts on it, I, I like this movie. Um, I, as far as all the Bond movies together go, the, I would say this is up there for me in the better ones. I mean, it's a pretty good entertaining Bond flick, but it tries to improve upon the book, the story of the book in way and, and all of those ways I don't really find to be successful. I agree. So as in turn, you know, comparing it to other, the other movies, I think it's pretty good in comparison to the book. 
I don't think it's as good. Let's start with the good. Let's start on a positive note. (laughs) What did did you like the most about this movie? Um, I thought the casting was really, really good for Ursula Andress. I mean, she, she has gone on to become one of the most, if not the most iconic bond girls of the franchise. Um, she, she's perfect physically for it. Um, and I, I just think in terms of being the first movie, it set a really good tone for the ones to follow. And, Sh- and Connery, we've said before that after reading the books, you know, maybe Daniel Craig might be a little bit more in the spirit of the Bond as Fleming mm-hmm. wrote him. But but it's just hard to get over Connery's Conneriness in, in yeah. the movie. And I think he had good chemistry with Honey Rider, and I like that. I mean, there weren't any of the long 20-minute bizarre chase scenes that like in live and let die <laughs> just, just really... the most amazing boat scene ever filmed i think they called it or something like that yes. <laughs> yeah right so i mean the pacing still like we said with the book the pacing was pretty good i think mm-hmm. um yeah, i think the I, mean, ca- I think the casting overall has been great so far with the mm-hmm. movies we've watched i know mm-hmm. in the future there'll be a couple that i won't enjoy but but uh, i thought the actor who played Dr. No was great, John Connery, uh, and Ursula Andress. I think all three really hit this movie home. Yeah. And like I sure. said earlier, this is the this is the first one out of the gates as far as movies go, official movies. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought they chose well. I think they set up the kind of archetypal hero's weapon with the PPK discussion with the quartermaster. Uh, we don't have Q yet. You know, it's just this guy who comes in. Uh I like the guy that plays M too. I th- he's kind of a jerk though in these yeah. in these movies. They and in the book too. We didn't talk about this in in this book and and Goldfinger as well. The relationship between Bond and M is really kind of soured. Almost is is almost mm-hmm. catty now. Um, yeah, almost like a a parent and teenager kind of kind of thing. You know, Bond is this you know the sassy guy that, you know, is going to, is going to womanize if he wants to, but he'll still get the job done, dad, you know, and, right. and him is just stodgy old guy trying to hold him in his place. I, that that's, I totally agree. And it just, it's kind of a classic parent child moment too, because M is, or he thinks he is anyway, he's sending bond on this softer mission as a way to let, I mean, because he thinks it's what's best for him and he's trying to give him, a little bit of a pass mm-hmm. after almost dying at the hands of Rosa Club in From Russia with Love. Um, but of course, Bond doesn't see it that way. He's like, oh, he's punishing me. He's He knows I hate this and right. I don't want to do it and blah, blah, blah. So, but yeah, there, there was a, a definitely a note of bitterness between them that I hadn't noticed as much of in other books. But. And I, I think for the movie, I think it works. You know, they, they set up this, they set up this scenario where Bond kind of ha- is going to have to prove himself Right, mm-hmm. because that's what M is expecting. In order to impress M, he's going to have to do a, a, a spectacular job. And it's yeah. funny, too. You know, it's funny to see them kind of trying to one-up each other. Um, we haven't talked about Quarrel yet. And I like Quarrel oh, in the gosh, movie, yeah. too. Uh, I don't know. One thing, I kind of started watching the movie thinking, oh, I'll have like a social, racial you know, thing in mind and see if there's any... Uh, you know, any messages here or any racism from the 1960s, but I didn't really see much, uh, honestly. You know, the scene, because the movie starts with the assassination of these two uh, these two wh- white station leaders, 
Mm-hmm. And it's the and it's the three blind men, the three blind mice characters that kill them who are black characters. So I thought, oh, there's going to be some, you know, some commentary or some, but I didn't catch much. Uh, no, and, yeah. And I really like Quarrel. Like I said, he's, uh, you know, these books. It it makes me sad that today, two thousand in the late two thousand in the late two thousands <laughs> in two thousand <laughs> nine hundred, you know, in, you know, in, in twenty sixteen. It's we we have like a really I won't say homophobic because that's not what I mean. It's like it's almost auto homophobic, meaning men are afraid to show affection for other men. But mm-hmm. in in these books, you see between Bond and M, between Bond and Quarrel, between Bond and Felix, you know, there's this there's this close relationship that goes beyond something professional, but obviously it's not romantic, you know. Right. And the fact that I even have to say it's not romantic, you know, is 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 almost silly. And so I like this relationship between Bond and Quarrel. Uh, it's, you know, they're working together. He appreciates Quarrel for this kind of almost primitiveness, which, you know, has connotations, negative connotations. But, you know, he, he talks about the, the boat they use being um, like this really basic. Oh, in fact, did I write down the quote? I don't know. Go ahead and talk about Quarrel yourself and I'll find it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would really, I'd agree with everything you've been saying. I mean, it, it is so nice to, and it's not, it's not a bromance either. I mean, it's, it's this, the male characters in these books have this really interesting relationship that, that I feel like is cheesed up in a lot of movies. Like, Oh, like buddy cops or, Oh, you know, frat guys. And it's just not yeah. that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's brotherly. I mean, it's, it's familial. It's, I mean, I, I really enjoy it. And, um, after what happened, I mean, this is kind of a spoiler, but after what happens to Quarrel um, on Crab Key. Oh, it, I didn't get that far. It, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not you a spoiler never, never to say did. the black guy dies in a 1960s movie, I don't think. True. Uh, but yeah. But, but after, but he, I won't read the whole passage because it's kind of long, but uh, in the book, Bond gets into this very philosophical moment where he's contemplating all of the amazing warm things about Quarrel and he's talking about what happens to people after they die and and kind of the last part of that quote is um let's see uh there was only one for it one word for it warmth surely he hadn't gone to the same place as Dr. No whatever happened to dead people there was surely one place for the warm and another for the cold and which when the time came would he Bond go to so it's this really sobering moment where he's he's singing Quarrel's praises and he's wondering about the afterlife and uh, I I think there's a depth to Bond in the books, uh, talking about mortality, talking mm-hmm. about cold blooded killing, talking about all these things that just doesn't quite come across in the movies and I wish it did. Yeah, I think it would have been hard to in this in that age in movie making. <laughs> yeah. But but you're true, right. True. Yeah. Uh, well, just I'm thinking of. Just the cinematic techniques they use of they'll they'll do like a a jump cut halfway through a take, you know, Bond standing there, and then it'll cut to a slightly different take of him standing there to finish out the scene. Like what? You could just reshoot the whole scene. Yeah. So it's yeah. some of sometimes it's like pared way down, and you could tell they had to Hollywoodize a lot of this. Yeah, that's um, true. I found this quote. It says. He's talking about the canoe they used. It had two thin thwarts, two heavy paddles, and a small sail of dirty canvas. It was a blunt instrument. Quarrel was pleased with it. You know, so I, I just like 
this whole book is full of little nuggets like that that are great. It's just yeah, nice quick characterization of, you know, Quarles is simple, this this simple man on this island just helping Bond survive with his with his island know how. Yeah. I feel like we're running late. There's so much to say about this movie. It's Bond. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, okay. Speaking of paring down things, I was disappointed with the way they pared down the obstacle course scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because you you didn't, I mean, that was such an important aspect of that scene, the fact that it was intentional and the fact that Dr. No was like, I am going to make you do this and here's where you start and here's where you shall end. But um, yeah, in the movie, it's almost like he's just escaping from another scenario like he would have in any other well, film. and You know what I mean? Yeah, it's silly because because we had read the book too, we were expecting it to be an obstacle course. We weren't sure. And then he he knocks the gate the little gate down of the of the duct and it's electrified. So I think, oh, okay, so this is it. But it ends up that was just electrified to prevent it from escaping. But the flimsy little thing, you know, he took just one hit with his shoes and it fell fell off and he escaped. Yeah, and you know, it, it's like it, I don't fully know how to explain what I'm trying to say, but. It, you know, he, he gets through it relatively easily and relatively quickly, and then he's dumped right down into Dr. No's headquarters where all the radioactivity stuff yeah. is happening. And in the book, he goes through hell. I mean, his he's almost dies. He's pushed almost to the point of endurance, and he falls out of a thing 100 feet, 100 feet down into the ocean, and then he <laughs> battles a squid, which I'm kind of glad they didn't do in this 1960s movie. Yeah, but. yeah. <laughs> some but, guy, some guy with a stick with a squid leg on it, just yeah. kind of shoots it up to it. I'm reminded of uh, what was the Burton movie we watched with Ed Wood? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where they make Ed Wood, where they make him fight the. Anyway, sorry. Check yeah. out episode 17 of Tim Burton movies on the Good Bad Podcast. Oh <laughs> uh, man, well that that hits at something deeper. Be- the books in general and the movies in general. In the movies. We never really feel like Bond is in any danger. Right. Especially with yeah, the Roger Moore ones, uh, until Casino Royale. You know, that was mm-hmm. that was the great scene with the torture scene in that movie was that, oh, he, you know, uh, I really felt like he was in danger and I really, it was really, it was a really tense scene. But especially the Roger Moore movies, it's like, okay, he's just going to hop, jip, and scump. <laughs> <laughs> Hop, skip, and jump over these alligators, you know, and of course. But That's exactly uh, the moment I was picturing, yeah. too. That's hilarious. Well, and Dr. No in the movie, we should talk about, too, because he's... They didn't do a great job with the exposition of his character. They... Mm-hmm. It was a completely white actor. The, the character is half white, half Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the his people on the island are supposed to all be half black, half Chinese, and they're not in the movie. That I could mm-hmm. tell anyway. Uh, and so you mentioned in the book discussion that that they didn't really go into his backstory. And I thought that was a major detriment to the movie because I like the actor who played him. And uh, that, that first scene when we just hear his voice, uh, the, the geologist goes and sits to talk to him. And he's looking around and we just hear Dr. No's sinister voice over and, you know, don't fail me this time. And it was great. I thought the actor yes. was great. And uh so what do you, what about you, Kelly? Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I I do. I mean, I, I went into this a little bit on the book, but I think I think his backstory is so essential to his character, 
And, you know, they didn't they didn't overdo it in the book. I feel like they could have very easily, like with a bunch of buildup that goes on for pages and pages. So I feel like in the movie they could have added a few more, you know, an extra scene or even just a few bits of dialogue that would have supported that because he's a very interesting villain. Um, so I don't think they really did him justice in the movie, but, no. you know. And that whole that whole philosophical discussion in the book was great too, and they really pared that down for the movie. Yeah. Um, and when you when you talk about the the, the fact that and I, I I get that they couldn't probably find a half white half Chinese actor to play him <laughs> that well, but you know with Ursula Andress too, they didn't have her nose broken in the movie, and I knew they wouldn't. You know, I was reading the book, I was like, oh wow, I didn't realize she had a broken nose. It's kind of you know. I liked how they handled that in the book, and I thought, that's not going to be in the movie. <laughs> They're not yeah. going to have a Bond girl with a broken nose. <laughs> but, but it's so much, I mean, again, it's so much deeper that way that she has a broken nose because he's thinking to him. He, he There is this part where he's realizing that after a while he even forgets that it's even broken because she's so beautiful. And when you look at someone, you look into their eyes and at their mouth while they're talking, and he tells her, you're like, no, you're beautiful. You don't even need to get it fixed. You're so I thought that was sweet that at the yeah. end he kind of re- he loved her in spite. I mean, not loved. You get the point. He he appreciated her broken nose. But they got it fixed anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Hollywood. I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, even in the book, she's they say she's going to get it fixed too. True, and yeah, I, I think she like, does. But I yeah. I kind of wish she wouldn't have in the right. book too. I would because it 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 cheapened her character a little bit that she's like working and saving all of her shells and whatnot. All with the end game of getting just to look surgery. beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is before um, Nip Tuck came out on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of honey, too, I think uh, one other thing that we we did not mention is, and we said that we were going to earlier in the episode, is that in the movie they just have her fall into the typical damsel in distress role. I mean, she's she's just chained down to this weird cellar thing and the waters are going to wash over and drown her and then bond of course pops in and saves her at the last second and it's like mm-hmm. what happened to the... that that was such a big letdown from the book for me because she was she had moments of badassery in the book and she yeah. got her own self free and she you know i don't know i i just it, it I, I didn't like that part me neither okay <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, but you know, but, what are you gonna do, Kelly? <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> We're talking about James Bond here. Come on. Yeah, I know, I know. You're, Shooting for the stars. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Okay. There, well, there's just, there's just so many things to say about this. But we won't. But we won't, yeah. We've said most of them. Yeah. So. <laughs> so we will leave you with a teaser because next time we'll be looking at Goldfinger, which I'll give you a hint. Either the book or the movie is my favorite yet. Ooh. So stay tuned for that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> and Kelly, do you want to tell them where they can check us out? Sure. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at hear their series um you can find us on itunes you can find us at it's just awesome.com all right with that we will let you all go thanks for listening thanks thanks